months. Once you start scouting, it's like a disease. It gets in your body. You're infected with it. You're tuned in to the Infectious Scouting Podcast with your hosts, Russell Landy and Rick Saratello. Back here at it again, the Infectious Scouting Podcast with your host, Rick Saratella. All right, seeing the place to be reporting here from New Jersey uh, during this time of crisis. I will be uh, kicking it around with my main man, Russell Landy, of course, here on the Infectious Scouting Podcast, like we have done all season long. We continue to count you down to the NFL draft. We're now just 23 days away as of this recording. It's April 1st. We are going through difficult times. So everybody stay positive. Keep your head up. Be smart. Be safe. You know, I don't want to get on my soapbox and preach you uh, here what you need to do. Uh, But, you know, be conscious of what's going on around you outside of this podcast because for the next hour or so, we're going to try to ease the mind relax the soul, and do what we do best here, which is talk football. And uh, quite frankly, there's nobody that I'd rather talk football with than my main man, Russell Landy. So we welcome him into the show. Russ, how are you holding up there in Chicago? You know, not as well as you. I mean, I can't walk a block and be at the beach like uh, those rich folks in the Hamptons and live the life of a king. But uh, as good as you can be in Chicago, where we're like a mile from the water. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, I will say the, uh, the boardwalks and beaches are closed. The public parks all have gates and red tape around them. And, uh, you know, we're doing the best we can here to, to you know, uh, appreciate Mother Nature uh, while we can. So it's nice to hear it. It's nice to see it. But uh, I'm on my quarantine kick, which means, uh, you know, I've been studying my, my notes routes here for the tight ends and wide receiver classes and I think you know if you were to talk about two opposite ends of the spectrum uh with strengths and weaknesses in this draft you could argue that wide receiver possibly the uh, strongest position in this year's draft and tight end arguably the weakest position in this year's class yeah and it's a weird one because I don't think it's that the tight ends are lacking in talent I think it's that the tight ends are lacking in consistency and guys that have done it every step of their career. There's a ton of talent at tight end. There's five or six guys I could see becoming starters, but none of them to me has put that stamp out there and said, I am a hundred percent your guy. I'm, I'm, I'm the Henry Ruggs or the Justin Jefferson type player who you can just literally plug into the NFL. All of them of the top tight ends have the talent to be, in my opinion, frontline quality starters, but they have to overcome some things. It's not like that receiver class where literally there's going to be take guys taken in the fourth, fifth round this year that normally would be late second, third round guys. And teams are going to get great value at receiver, which is why if I'm a team, unless there's one or two guys that I'm really super crazy about, I'm sitting back and saying, I'll take a receiver in the third instead of in the first. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Yeah. And there's a lot of guys to get into. So we'll kick it off. Uh, We'll get to your tight end rankings and unveil them in just a second. But before revealing the names, I want to ask you, you know, the NFL draft prop sets are something that's become popular of recent years and uh, keeping people's minds occupied out there as they wait for the draft. This might be the only sporting event we get all year. 
right now Vegas is saying that there's not going to be a tight end selected in the first round. I think it's uh, uh you know, a hundred bucks to win 160. If you, if you're willing to wager that a tight end will be selected in the uh, first round. Now you said there's a handful of guys that you believe could go on and start at the next level. If you're an NFL GM now, are you willing to invest a late first round pick in any of these guys? Well, I think that's where you really get into the the debate is I, I would agree. First round or any of these guys really slam dunk first rounders? No. But are there guys like the Bryson Hopkins, the the, the Oga Breckham kids from Missouri or the Cole Komet from Notre Dame that you look at and say normally these are guys that would go in that, say, 45 to 60 range. But if I'm sitting there at 30 or 29 and I'm pretty sure they're not going to be there when I pick at the end of the second, do I want to risk them? I think there's a chance, but I think what's more likely is that a team at the top of the second will trade into the bottom of the first to go get a receiver or an offensive tackle they're desperate for. And I think one or two mm. of the tight ends is going to go in the first 10 picks of that second round. All right. Well, let's throw them in a jar, shake them up, move them all around because they come in all different shapes and sizes this year. Uh, a lot of different uh, body types when you look at this year's draft class. So, uh, read them off on your big board. How do they come off uh, one through five? You know, I'm going to start at five with your guy that you've been hyping all year. And he also jumps in as a guy from a small school, the Troutman kid from Dayton. I mean, this kid, I think, put a stamp on that this is the best small school tight end, not just this year. I think in a number of years, I think his all-star performance showed that, you know what, he's not a small school player. He just happened to play at a smaller school. Um, and then the other kid that I've talked about a bunch this year is the, the Bryant kid out of Washington. Um, I know he didn't blow it up at the combine running in the four sevens, but when I watch this kid on film, I see a kid that's versatile. You can move him around sort of like a chess piece. He can be a, you can put him at receiver at times. You can put him as a slot guy. You can motion him out of the backfield, use him as an H. I like his versatility. I do think he's going to be a guy that you have to get creative with at times to be able to use him in, in all aspects of your offense. But I think there's a lot of upside there because of his natural receiving ability. Um, the Komet kid, or Komet, I don't know how it's pronounced exactly, out of Notre Dame is an intriguing kid. Um, probably the, the sort of the, the, the most prototypical guy in terms of the look and the feel of a kid. I like him. My concern with him is just, I don't know if he just has that rare, that special athleticism that makes me get excited. Um, my number two guy is a guy I've been talking about all year, the kid from Missouri. Um, I think if you just look at pure tools in terms of speed, explosiveness, I think this kid's above everybody. I mean, he does things that are freak-like on the field. Um, and when you see him play with passion and intensity, he's a dominant player. The problem is that, that the consistency there, and I think especially this year, the thing that scares me, and I'm sure it scares you, Rick, because you've been doing this as long as I have, is a year ago when you watched him and he had a frontline quarterback who could make all the throws, you saw a little bit more energy from the kid. You saw a little bit more passion when he played, a little bit more competitiveness. This year, offense wasn't as good. The ball wasn't spread around as much. You didn't see that same energy all the time. You saw a lot more inconsistency and effort and passion. And to me, that's sort of a red flag saying, wait a second, what's going to happen if he doesn't end up with a team in the NFL that has a top-end quarterback? They can get him the ball and make him happy. Um, I love the talent. I think there's no doubt all pro 
physical talent there. I just need to see more consistency. And to me, the safest bet of them all is the kid we saw down in Mobile also is the Hopkins kid out of Purdue. Um, I don't think he's a special rare athlete, but I think as a receiver, he's going to have an easy time getting open versus NFL coverage. He's got natural hands. Um, He's never going to be a guy you want to rely on as a blocker. He gives an effort, but he's not a powerful guy. He's not a dominant guy. But I think he's a guy who will play and will be a starter. He reminds me a lot of the kid that's down with Tampa, and everybody had high hopes for him before he got the uh, concussions. Was the kid Cameron Bray. This kid's athletic, smooth, gets in and out of his cuts, natural hands. This is a kid I think has got a chance to be a really productive pass catcher in the NFL. Well, it's interesting. I have Hopkins at six on the outside looking in. Otherwise, uh, everybody that you mentioned inside my top five, and I think Hopkins is an interesting case study. I'm really curious because of the conflicting opinions, and maybe it's just my own conflicting opinion, but I'm really curious to see where he goes, how successful he is, and uh, that'll definitely be a guy that I was wrong on. And um Otherwise, you know, the one. Well, we don't know yet. We won't know for three years which one of us is right or wrong. We won't. (laughs) We won't. No. It'll be interesting. It'll be fun to watch. Um, The one guy, Komet, is interesting at, you know, six foot five and change, 37 inch vertical. Um, You know, this guy's got some serious athleticism, uh, you know, for his size. The other guy. Yep, no doubt. And as much as I loved Troutman, I thought it was his coming out party in Mobile and, and, you know, kind of uh, proven his weight and thought. But to me, I still thought Harrison Bryant was the best tight end at the senior ball from Florida Atlantic. So I had a hard time. He's a very intriguing kid, too. He's my number six guy. Yeah, so I think I think we're I think we're all I think we're on the same page here. We've got a consensus top six tight end. And I, 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 again, I think you could shake them up in whatever order, whatever role, kind of uh, tight end that you're looking for. I thought somebody else made a good point recently, and I, I, I'm sorry I can't credit who it was. Uh, I can't remember, but uh, the Patriots, if Brady had remained in New England, you would think maybe they were a contender for one of these tight ends there in, in the back end of the first round. Now, with Brady out of the mix. You know, I, I have a hard time finding a first round fit for a tight end. But to me, Harrison Bryant, six foot four and six eight, so almost six foot five, two forty three. Nothing overly impressive, four seven three forty. But I'll tell you what, man, I just, I just liked everything he did down in Mobile in terms of being able to get open, a, a solid route runner. Yeah, his blocking needs some work and some polishing, but all these guys do. Um, so I think you know, for the most part, I had Troutman, uh, Harrison Bryant. Hunter Bryant, Cole Komet, and then Albert O from Missouri. And again, I think it's tending him, getting him to the right system, the right scheme, and being able to take advantage of uh, that size and speed ratio. So, you know, he only ran the 40, 449 at the combine. He didn't do any of the other drills. So we don't know his, uh, you know, short shuttle and three cone times and all that. But, um, Russ, let's talk about. Any guys you want to comment on further, or do you want to talk about guys that you kind of like that we didn't mention in the top five? Well, the one thing I want to mention about the Missouri kid, and this is sort of the thing, because we've talked about a lot of these tight ends. They have one or two questions here and there. The one thing about the Missouri kid that is so unique is of all of them, he's the only one that basically showed, and it was just in a 40. Hey, I have rare talent. I mean, he can run like nobody else in this tight end class. And if you took every pass he caught, 
and just put the, the, the receptions on one reel. Forget about drops. Forget about all the other plays where he wasn't really involved. And you just put his catches from 18 to 19 on one reel. And you put that on a watch, and you can say, wow, this guy's got a lot of tools. This guy could be a special player. And then you see that 449. So there's a possibility that a team in that bottom five or six of the first round, or a team that is at the top of the second that might want to trade up, that they have one of those coaches. And there have been very successful coaches in the NFL that had the belief of if he's done it once, I can get him to do it all the time. This could be a guy that some team overdrafts because he's so physically gifted. And you, you a team that says, wow, we can do it. A coach that believes he can be the guy that can get this guy to play like a superstar every snap. So he, to me, is the one sort of real wild card. Now, kid that I like more than most, um, and there's two guys. I sort of keep what I'm going to combine two categories here. We have the one we like higher than most and the guy we consider under the radar. And I have two guys that sort of fit, and I didn't know which one to put where, so I'm just going to give them both. First is the Warner kid that we've talked about a bunch out of Georgia. I mean, if you're going to put him and have him stand next to the kid Komet from Notre Dame, I mean, they're both tall, they're both linear kids, they both run pretty well. I mean, there's not a huge difference when you look at them physically and you look at this Warner kid, you think, yeah, the the difference is the Komet kid's going to be a second. This Warner kid might be a fourth or a fifth. I mean, to me, there's some real value there. And the other kid, and you got you guys did a great job. I think it was getting him out to the NFLPA, and then I think he ended up jumping over to the senior at the last minute, is the Sullivan kid from LSU. He's sort of getting overlooked because everybody's looking at Randy Moss's kid, who I understand, he's, he's a pretty unique kid. But Sullivan's a really good football player, runs well, very natural, adjusting to make the catch, has long arms. I think Sullivan's a guy that if you use him correctly, he could be a versatile weapon. I don't think he'll ever be a dynamic player, but I think he could be a very productive, versatile guy in the NFL. And those are my two guys that I have higher the most and under the radar. So I'll combine both of them there. Now, two great picks because, you know, Werner, he created a buzz for himself out in Pasadena. You know, and, and when I when I touched down in uh, Mobile, you know, I had scouts coming up to me. Hey, I heard that Warner kid had a hell of a week. And you know, Nagy too from from the Senior Bowl got word of it. And you know, I think this is a guy really wouldn't surprise me if he's the highest drafted player from the NFL PA Bowl. Would not shock me one bit. Um, so I think that's a great pick. You talk about the arms. You know, I was going goo goo gaga over Albert O's arms from Missouri because he had 34 inch arms and an almost 80 inch wingspan. Then you look at Sullivan, and this guy's got 35 and 38 inch arms and an 85 inch wingspan. Russ, I mean, he's got the he's got the uh, wingspan of an offensive lineman, and he runs, you know, four six six at six foot five, 250 pounds with a 37 inch vert. I mean, this guy is a freak. You take a look at what Darren Waller has done. I mean, this could be the next kind of, uh, you know, you want a pass-catching threat. Uh, this guy has got, like, you know, Shannon Sharp kind of uh, brain. Yeah, he's a really interesting guy. And also, I think the other thing that people don't realize is having played at LSU where he was never the guy, he's going to be a great fit for an NFL offense because he, he shouldn't. 
have an issue with not being the guy at the NFL level. And guys with his type of talent who aren't going to fight and complain when they don't catch eight or nine balls every game and that they'll be happy with 45 catches in a season, those are the types of guys that to me have so much value in the NFL because they can really fit in with the team and you can adjust the role each week depending on the team you go against. I like this kid in the NFL, and I really think if you can get him with a coach that knows how to creatively use the tight end, like obviously everybody knows McDaniels, but even again, think about, imagine if you brought this kid out to San Francisco where they've already got George Kittle and he's the superstar and this guy could be his backup and rotate in and sort of do some things. I mean, wow, he could be a versatile weapon in that offense there. Uh, I, I could only imagine how Kyle Shanahan would implement that. Uh, Russell Landy, Rick Saratella here on the Infectious Scouting Podcast. We're counting you down for the 2020 NFL Draft. We've been doing our positional preview series here. Uh, next week, we'll talk running backs and quarterbacks. And, uh, you know, Russ, I'll tell you the, a couple guys here that stand out to me. You know, uh, C.J. O'Grady, we had him again at the NFL PA Bowl from Arkansas. Really didn't think we had a shot. And then he had the uh, issue there with the coaching staff, left the team. Um Obviously, got it. You know, he was a very popular uh, uh, request in terms of team in- interviews. He probably met with just about every team out in Pasadena. Again, the conflict of issues here is as an evaluator, hey, sixth, seventh round, we're seeing him on the board. We're saying, hey, uh, this guy has got too much talent to pass up. Let's not, uh, you know, have to bid against him in the undrafted free agency process let's let's use the seventh round flyer on him while the coaching staff is saying hey you know what this guy uh he, i think he quit on his team i don't have time for it i don't want a guy like that in my locker room i think that's going to be an interesting debate for cj o'grady the other guy is something you pointed out on a previous podcast and i said yeah you know what i kind of like that and that's the vanderbilt kid pinkney who i mean honestly a year or two ago we had a first round grade on this guy uh, he runs a terrible four nine six forty, ruins his draft stock. But you turn on the film, this guy's a good football player. He knows how to get open. Uh, he's been productive in the past. I think this is where you know. And, and on the flip side, the coach is saying, "Hey, give me this guy. I can work with this." Uh, any thoughts on those two guys? Well, no question. Thinking to me is sort of that guy that maybe he never becomes a starter, but when you look at everything he did in college, how productive and how, I think most importantly, how consistent he is in terms of technique, positioning, catching the ball when he gets opportunities. This to me is a slam dunk quality number two with a chance to become a number one if he shows he can play a little bit more in terms of explosively and make some plays with the ball in his hands. He's a very intriguing kid. And the kids from Arkansas, there's no question. I think if those issues hadn't come up in terms of, is he a team guy? Is he going to be a guy that battles through the tough times and, and, and does what's necessary? Or is this a kid that's just going to sort of go into a shell if things sort of go south on him? This again, no doubt talent-wise, it's there. He's got NFL tools to play at the next level. I think the bigger concern, and you know this, Rick, we've, you, you've done this forever and we've talked about it a bunch, that most of the 
players that don't make it, they get drafted in the NFL. They're not getting, they're not missing and failing in the NFL because Bill Belichick and Kyle Shanahan and Chris Ballard don't know how to watch film and evaluate talent. They're missing because they don't have those intangibles. And that's where a kid, like the kid from Arkansas here that we're talking about, O'Grady, that's where you have, you have a concern is, Hey, when things are tough and young guys come in and say he's a sixth round pick or a fourth round pick, and it's the third tight end, and they say, hey, we have some roster things going on. We have some injuries. We need to bump you down and practice roster you. And you put him on the PR, and he's not getting any game time, not dressing, having to stay at home when they travel. How's a kid like that going to handle it? And that's what they want to know. And that's why, despite the physical talent, teams have concerns because it's about the intangibles, about a kid's ability to deal with rough situations, changes in his situation, and still work through it and come out the other side. And and that's, I think, the concern with him. But talent-wise, there's no doubt he has the tools to play at the next level. All right, wrapping up the tight end position here, I got a few small school guys. I'll let you chime in on your final thoughts, but I'm going to take them all at once because the one guy I'm down on, and I was out in Oregon and, and, you know, talking to the West Coast scouts and down in Mobile trying to find a a scout that likes this kid. And I think this is where the Bledsoe International can be deceiving because this guy carried a high grade all the way through the season. To me, just didn't show me anything on film. Still earned himself a senior bowl invite off of that preseason grade, and that's Charlie T. We've got an Albert O. We've got a Charlie T. The Portland State kid does absolutely nothing for me. I don't know where to put him. He's definitely not a tight end. I don't know if he can survive as an H-back. I don't like him as a fullback. To me, I, I just, you know, maybe a very productive cop collegiate. Just no home for this guy in the NFL or the CFL, maybe the XFL if they come back. And then small school speaking, Woody Grandham, Sam Houston State, another guy we had out at the Collegiate Bowl. He's just a, a hard-nosed, you know, you want a bruising kind of blocker, get-after kind of guy. Woody Brandom is a guy. He'll be in a camp fighting for a roster spot. And then get a shout-out to the Gerbino family down there in Dartmouth. They're tagging me every day on Twitter. Give them a shout-out. Jared Gerbino, I went and saw Dartmouth against Penn at the historic Franklin Field there in Philadelphia, uh, My one of my favorite uh, road trips of the season. But this Jared Gervino, he was kind of like an option uh, quarterback there that, uh, you know, kind of like a Chris Striebler type of uh, role where he's going to have to convert to tight end at the next level. Hey, he might be an intriguing guy on those short yardage and goal line situations up north. But I wanted to give Jared Gervino from Dartmouth, get some Ivy League love since they are the uh, – FCS conference with the most NFL players. Uh, so those are my final thoughts on tight ends, Russ. Let's put a ribbon on this position. Well, I'm going to give you one small school guy, and it's not a guy I've graded on film. I just saw a highlight clip because a scout said you should peek at him. As he said, I don't know if he's going to get an NFL look. Um, and just his highlight clip, it was like two, three minutes. Intriguing kid. You probably know him, the Jamari Hester kid out of Jacksonville State. Um, for for CFL, he's, he's a big receiver. He's six six and change, two hundred and ten pounds, two fifteen, and he runs in the four sixes, four sevens. Not a special athlete, but a good athlete for a tall kid. Um, 
an intriguing kid that I think some team in the NFL is going to probably sign as a free agent just to see what he is. Maybe even just do a, be a minicamp trial. But I think teams want to figure out, is this kid tough enough to really play as a tight end at the NFL level? Because if he is, he's athletic enough. But if he's not tough enough, he's not athletic enough to be a receiver. So I think some team's going to take a peek. Just a small school guy I wanted to throw out there because he's a unique guy. I don't think he's going to get drafted. Okay, interesting. Now, you know, that's one guy I, I did not get around to this year, so I'm going to make sure I go – and do my due diligence there. Just like I think there's a Northeast Missouri tight end uh, coming out for next year that I want to look into. I've got a good uh, tip that this Boston College has got a tight end, uh, Hunter Long, who is getting some first-round love from NFL scouts already. Hunter Long from Boston College for next year. Keep an eye on him. He'll be right up there with Baby Gronk, uh, the Penn State kid, Freermuth, you know, for contention of that uh, top tight end for the 2021 class. Let's flip it and reverse it. Shift gears now on the Infectious Scouting Podcast. There's a lot of wide receivers to get to here. 55 combine invites at the wide receiver position this year, Russ. Um, Maybe, arguably, until next year when we see, uh, we just gave the 2021 tees for tight ends, Jamar Chase, the Alabama guys, Savanta Smith, Jalen Waddell, Rondell Moore uh, over at Purdue, Justin Ross Ross at Clemson, just a, a look ahead at the 2021 guys. Uh, this could be the top wide receiver class we've seen until next year rolls around. Yeah, it's, it's really amazing how the, I, I guess you should say, expansion of the spread offense in college, putting four receivers and five receivers on the field all the time has allowed the expansion of receivers coming into the NFL to grow because more guys are getting opportunities to catch more guys are getting playing experience in college. So these athletes that came out of college 20 years ago that were backup receivers in college, didn't get the in-game reps, didn't learn from their mistakes. They didn't develop as much. They were sort of gambles when you bring them in as undrafted guys. Now you have guys that years ago were backups. Now they're starting third and fourth receivers, catching 50, 60 balls a game from when they're sophomores. So the, the development and the talent level of receivers across the country has gone up dramatically. I think this year's class is unbelievable. So I'm just going to give you, I got, I couldn't do five. I had to go seven because I had three guys at five. I couldn't decide which one to keep. So I'm just keeping them all. Understandable. Yeah. It, it, it's crazy. So, I mean, at seven, seven, six, and five, I got them all combined. I got the Brandon Ayat kid from Arizona State, the Mings kid from Baylor, and my personal kid that I've been talking about all year that I just love is the Rieger kid from TCU. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the IAC kid, and I think Mims is unique. But to me, the Rieger kid, there's just something about this kid. When I watch him on film, he, to me, jumps out as a guy that says, hey, I may not be your prototypical guy. I'm a little shorter than traditional, but I'm also thicker at over 200 pounds than you would have expected when you look at my, my film and my height. But he's just got a little knack to him. He's got explosiveness. He's sudden. He can change direction. He's a kid I think is going to really make it as a returner, slot guy, and Mr. Everything. 
My number four guy is a guy I've talked about all year that I love, the kid out of Colorado. I know he's got to have the surgery, and people don't know where he is because he hasn't run, and people don't know if he's going to run in the four fours or the four sevens, all this debate. But to me, the Chanel kid out of Colorado, this kid's a make-it guy. This kid's a really good football player. Um, I see some Keenan Allen in this kid, a kid that just knows how to get open, runs strong routes, uses his big body. Um, this, this kid, to me, he's just a, he's an easy guy to grade. The next guy to me maybe the easiest player in the whole draft, the most the, the easiest guy to project for the NFL is Justin Jefferson at LSU. Because when you watch Jefferson, to me, he's not a blazer. This is not a guy who's just going to take it and outrun everybody. But I'll tell you one thing, he's quick, He's got good speed, and he has phenomenal route running, good strength, great hands. I mean, this kid to me is a guy that you plug in, and you know what you're getting for the next 15 years. He's a rock-solid quality starter. Now, my next two guys are sort of game-changing players. I got C.D. Lamb as my number two guy. This guy, to me, you get the ball in his hands, there's a chance he can take it the distance every single time. He's got that unique ability to slip guys and just – gone. And then my number one guy is the Ruggs kid out of Alabama. You know, when I did Alabama, I had some concerns. The Judy kid, I thought he was a body catcher, didn't think he was real polished, really ran sort of upright and stiff at times. And then you see Ruggs across the way. And this kid was just, the way he could accelerate from zero to full speed in a heartbeat, the way that he would catch the ball, and literally two defender, defenders not only had the angle on him, but they had the angle to where it was almost easy. They could coast there and he would just blow by them. I mean, he just can literally turn it on and it's over. I'm gone. It's all, it's a touchdown. He is going to be a nightmare for a team. If he goes to a team that has a creative offensive coordinator where you can put him in positions where he's coming off picks and coming off different opportunities where the defender gets slowed a little bit, you could be talking about a guy that literally hits a few home runs early in the season and changes the way defenses have to play against his team because he is so explosive. He's going to be about outrun angles and make big plays all season. Well, he's the closest thing to Tyree Kill in this year's draft. A lot of people don't have him getting past Denver at uh, 16, I think they are. And I could see Drew Locke, you know, winging it, swinging it down the field to Ruggs. But, Russ, you mentioned Jerry Judy. He thought he was body catcher. He wasn't a big fan. I got it. I mean, I didn't hear him in, in your rankings. Are you telling us that Jerry Judy did, did not crack the top seven? He didn't. No, that's what I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Wow. And you know what? Maybe I go down to the dumbest guy ever. Who knows? Maybe this ruins my scouting career. But I got to tell you, when I watch Ruggs and Judy, to me, they're not close. To me, wow. Ruggs is a special okay. athlete. Judy's a good athlete. I like him. But there's certain things, especially the body catching, the route running. I just really wonder where this guy's going to fit in. I like him, in the, but I, I don't think he's a first-round guy. It's really what it comes down to. And I think there's going to be from five to six receivers in the first round. Judy, to me, just doesn't jump up there. Okay. Well, I, I, I've heard some hot takes, and that might be the hottest. That might be the scorching take of the dress. So there we go. Uh, we are going to get some – some run on that one um so there you go uh i have judy number one and i have lamb number two who by the way cd lamb is the current favorite in vegas i thought that was a little bit surprising because you can get some really good odds right now i agree with you on rugs that he could very well be the first receiver off the board and you look at how high john ross went a couple years ago 
you can get really good odds on Henry Ruggs right now. It's the first receiver drafted. So uh, I think there's a really good possibility of that. I have him at three, but I mean, you know, those first three guys, I, 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 I could state a case that either one of them are the best receiver in this year's class. Je- uh, Jefferson to me is four, Rieger five. You know, when we when we released the draft Bible publication, I had Mims all the way down at nine. I would probably bump him up to five or six. Um, it looks like the T Higgins is more of a media hype train, Russ, at this point. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I like him. Um, but again, he's one of those guys that when I watch him, there's a little bit of straight line-ish to him. Um, there's a little bit of it just makes I, I just have a hard time getting a feel for his complete game. Um, there's no doubt he can run. I'm not doubting that. But when I watch him, there's a little bit of awkwardness in how he brings his arms up to catch the ball. He just there's something about him. And I'm not saying, hey, something about him. He's a reject. Just like I'm not saying that with Judy. I'm just saying there's something about him that just makes me say, geez, there's a lot of really good receivers in this class. I'd rather gamble on a kid like a Rieger or the IAC out of Arizona state, as opposed to him, where I, because when I look at him, I say, geez, there's something that makes me concerned. And that's why first round, I have a hard time doing that. If I'm sitting there in the third and he's sitting there. Yeah. I mean, I'm willing to roll the dice there because at that point, his talent and his just overall grade is going to be higher than anybody else sitting there. And I'm going to feel comfortable with it. But in that late first, I'd just be nervous to me. He's not a, a frontline special guy. All right. Very good. Russell Landy, Rick Saratella, breaking it down wide receiver. This has been our most intriguing positional debate of the uh, podcast series. A really fun position to break down because there are so many varieties, so many talents for us. Give me some guys here that you're higher on or, or players that are going to outplay some of the receivers selected ahead of them? Well, I'm going to give you two guys. And it is, again, it's that higher under the radar thing <clears throat> that you can combine. And personally, the kid that came out early from Penn State, Hamler, um, he may not be a finished product, but I'll tell you one thing. You want to talk about a kid with juice? A kid that when he gets the ball in the open field, he's a legit threat every time? This the kid. I mean, this kid does some things that are special athletically. Now, would he have been better staying in school another year? A hundred percent he would have, because I think he could have challenged to really move up boards. If he could have just become a little more polished, a little bit more consistent. But I think when you look at pure talent, ability to do things with the ball in the sands, this kid, I really like this kid. And the other kid, this is a kid I've been talking about all year. Not a guy that blows you out of the door in terms of testing or anything, but Austin Mack out of Ohio State. I mean, this kid's just going to come in the league, probably take him a year, but I really believe he's going to become a starting receiver in the NFL. There's something about this kid, big body, smooth athlete. I just think his issue is concentration. He drops some balls he shouldn't. But if I'm sitting there early in day three and this kid's just sitting there waiting, to me, he's a slam dunk, easy guy. I think this guy's got a lot of the tools to become a starter in the NFL. Uh, well, hey, I love wide receivers who block, so sign me up for Austin Mack. Uh, same goes for Juwan Johnson over in Oregon, a big-bodied receiver, transfer from Penn State, tr- struggled with some dropsies, had a hamstring issue earlier in the season. But if you watch his end-of-the-season film, Juwan Johnson from Penn State, there's a guy who will go day three. Yep probably wind up becoming a, a wide receiver too at the next level. Um, just a big body catcher that can make plays and just go ask Justin Herbert how much he likes Juwan Johnson. Uh, I agree with you about Hamler. I have a hard time getting past the size issue, Russ. I, I can't lie about that. A 5'8 can change, 178. But to your point, 
just so explosive, so dangerous in open space. I mean, you're 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 adding a bonafide return man, um, and then you throw him in the slot. I mean, this is a luxury type of piece to me when you're when you're um, you know a team looking to, if you're if you're an offense looking to get over the hump, you, you take a guy like Hamler in round two. Um, you know, to me, Devin DuVernay is a guy, he's like the Rodney Dangerfield of this year's draft class. He's probably going to go yep. in the middle rounds, become, a, a, a again, another just excellent slot receiver at the next level. Uh, I'm curious, you know, a couple guys here that kind of get lost in the mix. Chase Claypool, I mean, would you be surprised not if he goes in the top 50? Same with Michael Pittman from USC, who is just, just a product of the deep class. And then Donovan People Jones. I mean, all three of these guys will say they're top fifty picks, and then you hear, well, hey, you know what? They might be day two or day three selections. Uh, where do these guys fall on your board? Claypool. Pittman, well, you know, the first two Donovan you mentioned, Peter Claypool Jones. and Pittman, they're a hundred percent worst case second round picks to me. I mean, these are guys that should be starting in the NFL. Um, there was a lot of talk about Claypool, people saying he's a tight end. I mean, you watch this kid, I mean, compared to a lot of NFL guys, he's as quick as a lot of NFL guys, and he's huge. Um, and same with Pittman. Pittman's a big, thick-bodied kid, muscular. I mean, to me, those two kids are guys who are going to be productive guys in the NFL. Now, they're not going to run away from anybody. And, and, and even though Claypool ran in, the, I think, the 4-4-9 range at the, or 4-4-4 at the NFL combine, that's, he's not, four, a, four, he's not a blazer. He's four, four, two. Yeah, four four two. He's not a blazer, but he's a good, really good athlete for a big kid. Catches the ball well. Um, everything you want character-wise is off the chart. Um, I think both of those guys are going to play in the league. I got to say, the People's Jones kid—that is one I don't get. You know, I watched a lot of Michigan film at eighteen and this year, and you know, I don't—I know he tested out of the world, and people were like, "Holy smokes, his vertical is forty this and that." I got to tell you, when I watch film, I see a guy that has no burst, no speed. no. I don't get it with this kid. And maybe, I don't know, maybe I got some weird glasses on when I watched him and when I watched Judy. But this is a kid, to me, I don't see it at all. I really don't see where this kid fits in the NFL. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe two years from now, he's starting for somebody. But I got to tell you, when I watched Michigan, I just didn't see people's Jones as a guy that had the tools to play at the NFL level. Yeah, I, I think, you know, asking him to be anything more than a return guy uh, at the next level, I just, I just don't see him being worth keeping a, a, a roster spot as a wide receiver. Um, you know, the, a couple guys else up there out there, you know, I had a great conversation with the uh, Rhode Island head coach last week, uh, Coach Fleming, and we talked about Coulter and we talked about Parker. And, you know, the reason why I'm bringing it up, is because Gil Brandt uh, had Coulter as one of his, you know, can't-miss guys that everyone's going to go back uh, 10, 15 years from now and scratch their head, tabidly miss this kid. Uh, Coulter could be a special talent. Uh, but they also have a guy, Amir Dorsey, that Coach Fleming put me on to. And this guy had like five or six uh, kickoff and punt returns for a touchdown, and he's just another burner. He gets lost in the mix there at URI. All of a sudden, Rhode Island putting out all these wide receivers. Uh, but Amir Dorsey is a guy now that's a good guy, a guy, um, not to be forgotten on the FCS side, small school. And then, you know, a couple other guys here. Darnell Mooney, shout out to my guy, Von Hutchins, who went into Tulane and said, hey, Darnell Mooney is a guy that we've got to have at the NFL PA bowl. And, and then, you know, he comes out 
he goes to the combine, runs a four three eight forty. Again, a small stature guy. You talk about uh, Hamler and Mooney, very similar players. Hamler round two, Mooney day three. I think I don't know. Maybe yep. Mooney goes top one hundred. I don't know at this point. Um, keep it on the return theme. I went into Virginia early on in the season. I said, "Who is this guy?" It's Joe Reed. Uh, some scouts think he can play running back, but I'll tell you what, he has six or seven career touchdowns as a returner, both kick and punt. Um, he's a guy that could do it all. He, he could be an end-around guy, a bubble screen guy, slot guy, outside guy, return guy. Joe Reed from Virginia, you're getting a really good value pick. Uh, I think, you know, again, because of the depth, of this year's class, uh, here's a guy six foot, two twenty four, runs a four four seven with a thirty eight inch vert, and you don't hear anybody even talking about him. And he's got crazy production. Um, and Virginia's a power five, so I mean, I just don't get it why people aren't talking about Joe Reed. And then uh, you know, I guess I went digging for return men because I think arguably, arguably, and we've had this conversation before, punt returners now. Are, are the more valuable of the two because, you know, there just aren't enough kick returns to make a significant impact. Yep. You could be a, 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 a viable punt returner. K.J. Osborne from Miami, arguably the best punt returner in the country this past year. Another guy, uh, no all-star invite. I did cartwheels trying to get him into the NFL PA Bowl. Couldn't get any love for him there. Couldn't get any love for him uh, at, at the Shrine Game or Senior Bowl. But he goes out to the Combine, runs a four four eight, And I think this guy is, again, just a, a return extraordinaire. And then one guy, I just got word, he ran a four three seven uh, at his pro day, uh, unofficial pro day, of course. Uh, but there was NFL scout present. Uh, he had 90 catches, I think, 98 catches this past year and that is uh cedric bird out in hawaii if you're uh one of the late night owls like myself watching hawaii uh or, you know uh, over here on the east coast two three in the morning cedric bird he made plays all the last two seasons and i think he was a juco transfer this guy all he's done is make plays kind of gets forgotten about and buried over there in the west coast on the islands he was going to uh work out you know they they hold their joint Pro Day with UCLA. He was going to do the UCLA Pro Day, but he did a private workout. The film will be emerging this this week, I hear, but he did a, a Pro Day workout with his quarterback, Cole McDonald, and, and some other guys. But Cedric Bird is the last guy I want to throw out there. Any other wide receivers, Russ, you want to get off your chest here? Well, no, the one guy that we didn't really talk about, but we still both saw him, um, it was the, the, the small school kid from Liberty. Um, I think he has proven that athletically um, and competition-wise, he deserves an opportunity in the NFL. Um, I think he's a little more polished than a lot of real small school kids. Um, very interesting kid because not many kids that are that long and linear um, are that athletic. So he's a kid that I think is deserving of sort of mention as a small school kid that could surprise. You know, I think you nailed a handful. Rhode Island, it's amazing. Um, I've heard from a number of scouts about that kid that uh, Bill Brandt thinks could be the sleeper of sleepers. Um, I have not evaluated the Rhode Island guys, so I can't speak to them intelligently, but I have heard scouts say that this is a guy that needs to be on people's radar because this is a guy who they think is going to be a starting receiver in the NFL. I think I think Coulter... You want a dark horse candidate for round one, Russ? Isaiah Culture, Rhode Island. There you go. Um, yeah, that's a great, it's a great call. 
hot takes here. That's what we're bringing you on the Infectious Scouting Podcast. No Jerry Judy in the top seven. Isaiah Coulter in our first round. We're making waves here, Russ. We're making waves here at the Jersey Shore. Uh, good, good or bad? I mean, they, 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 may have to they may say, wait, Landry didn't put Judy in. Judy is one of his top seven. We can just delete. He's not allowed to put podcasts up anymore. But you, you never know. Hey, trust me. In this business, Rick, as you know, if you're not willing to stand with your opinion, and be wrong oh, yeah. regularly, yep. then you then you shouldn't be in this business because you're going to be wrong. It's a hundred percent guaranteed no you're going to miss on twenty to thirty percent of your evaluations. So you better be ready for it. Well, you know, uh, uh, there's nothing worse than a scout without an opinion, right? So, um, <laughs> no doubt. Hey, Antonio Gandy Golden. To your point, Liberty had a chance to see him against Rutgers. If if you didn't see the stickers on the helmet, you would have thought he was a power five player and he was playing against the lower level yep. of competition. Now, granted, Rutgers is, is a lower level of competition in the power five last year, but, I mean, he was just toying with these guys. Um, so, you know, I like Andy Golden. Um, you know, Colin Johnson was a guy a couple of years ago came out like a gangbuster at Texas and people thought, you know, this is the next Calvin Johnson boy, how the mighty have fallen. Uh, he's a guy that might not even get drafted. I know I got laughed at the other day, Russ, for, uh, you know, someone asked me, Tyler Johnson, where do you see him getting drafted? I said, UDFA. And they thought I was joking, yep. but it, I'm actually serious. Um, you know, I, I was probably a little too harsh on him at 45 on my big board. But, you know, I, I don't want a guy who doesn't want to compete. I don't want a guy who doesn't want to uh, compete when, you know, you're not even considered to be one of the best. Uh, to me, that's a guy I'm staying away from. Um, well, and you know, I got to say, the out- thing that's got to scare you about him is here's a kid that everybody in the country, the buzz was, did everything well but can't run. Well, Here's your chance at the combine. I know you may feel more comfortable at Minnesota, but here's your chance at the combine. Every GM is there. If you can run even remotely okay and be in the low four sixes, show it to us. Because you know what? Even if Minnesota has three first-round picks on their roster, there's only going to be four or five GMs coming to the pro day. It's going to be other directors and scouts. You're not going to have 32 GMs there. And this year, obviously, is an aberration. But I've said it before, and we've said it on this podcast. If you're at the Combine, run. Because this is obviously a unique situation where over half the pro days are wiped out. But what if you had just been sick when your pro day come up? What if the pro day gets rained out and there's no indoor facility and you don't get a chance? Run every time you have a chance to run. This kid didn't. I don't see how a team can take a kid who every scout I spoke to said, I'm not sure he can run. If everybody is saying that, and there is no recorded time, he did not run as a junior at the rising senior day at Minnesota. So if you have no 40 on the kid at all, and every question you have concerns his speed, I don't know how you can draft this kid. You know, and, he turned down, you know, he backed out of the East-West Shrine game. He didn't even get a senior bowl invite. He had a chance to go to the East-West Shrine game. Hey, go go dominate the Shrine game. Get called up to the senior bowl. Make make a name for yourself. That's the kind of guy I want. Yep. Instead, no doubt. I want competitors. Exactly. And any player hey. 
that's in college listening to this podcast has professional aspirations, let this be a lesson learned. Nothing, nothing is guaranteed. Tomorrow is not promised. Here's a guy who thought he's going to go home on his home turf, crush his pro day, and silence all his critics. Guess what? That opportunity is not coming. Yep, and, and it's not that he. Hey. Yep, and it's not that even if he gets into a camp, he's not. We're not saying he's never going to be good enough, or or doesn't isn't good enough to play. The problem is if you go in as an undrafted guy, you have to overcome so many battles and so many tiebreakers. You have to win. Whereas if you get drafted, even in the fourth or fifth round, you're going to be there two years. You're going to get a chance to show yourself. So it's mm-hmm. it's that little difference between. If you go and run in the four six three, at least teams can say, "Yep, he can't run," but it's not a horrible forty. And we know he does everything else phenomenal. Late in the draft, he's worth a flyer. Well, worth a flyer means two years most likely, unless you're just an abject terrible player. You're going to get two years to prove yourself. And if you crush it in the no preseason doubt. games and, <laughs> and and give yourself a chance, but when you're undrafted, there's no guarantee you're even going to get a shot in a game. So it's one of those things where if you, the old saying, and I remember Terrence Newman told me this when he ran his 40 at his rising senior day and he had a, a bum toe or a bum foot. And we asked him why he was running. And he said, if you can run, you can run. And that's the reality. You get out there and run, just run. Yep. And that's yep. unfortunately, a lot of guys are paying the price for not running the combine. Terrence Newman, one of uh, Bill Parcell's favorites, really good player. Uh, real quick. Some small school guys that I want to highlight that we had out in Pasadena. Jawan Green from Albany. J.J. Koski from Cal Poly. Uh, Josh Pearson from Jacksonville State. Chris Rowland from Tennessee State. These are all, uh, you know, priority free agent, undrafted guys. And then we had the Arkansas State duo where I think the mainstream media was really on Omar Ballas. I I think he led the nation in receiving. But uh, the one guy – that we went into, um, and shout out to Dane Vandernack, he was on him early. He went into Arkansas State early in the season for this this Kirk Merritt. I know everybody's talking about Bayless, but this Merritt just popped. And, you know, this past week uh, he had a video clip circulating with his vertical jump, 49-inch vertical rush. Uh, I thought that was, you know, <laughs> Eyebrow, eyebrow raising worthy of 49 inches. Well, think about it. If you, even if you take a foot off it, it's still 39. <laughs> yeah. And that's ridiculously good. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Um, but once again, it's been another uh, hour of power, Russ. Uh, always fun to break it down with you. And I, and I will say, you know, for this uh, this past hour, I did get a chance to uh, alleviate my mind from all the uh, stress and and negativity going on. And I'm an optimistic person, and I am staying positive. It just uh, hurts me and pains me to see uh, bodies dropping like flies and, and people dying in this country. And I think, you know, the worst is yet to come, unfortunately. Um, it's April 1st. A thousand people died in this country yesterday. Where are we headed? And I'm no politician. I'm just a you know regular person living this crazy world, just like Russ is here. But you know, please, uh, I, I know too many people that have already been impacted by this virus. I, you know, I drive to the store, or I go to the bank, I go 
pick up the draft Bible publication so I can mail them out to, to all the subscribers. And I see people hanging out, uh, coming down the shore as a getaway. It, it's not party time, people. It, it's not vacation time. Stay indoors. Stay home. This is no joke. And if it takes people like me to keep preaching it and, and repeating myself, just go look at the other countries and what's happening. And, um, you know, there's a lesson to be learned here, more importantly than the draft lesson. It's, it's stay indoors. Do your part. Do your job, as Coach Belichick would like to say. Um, it's no time to mess around. It's no time to play games. It's not time for hanging out. And I, I know everybody thinks, you know, when you're young, you're invis invincible and, and you can't get it. And even if that's the truth, and, and I don't think that's the truth, science tells us otherwise, but you can, you can spread it to other people. And, you know, my cousins, you know, shout out my, my, my cousin's boyfriend, his mom got this nasty, nasty virus in three days. She was dead. Can't go visit her. Can't do nothing. And, uh, you know, Russ, I'm sorry for my political, it's not even political, it's just a society here. No, I'm, I'm it's just very scary. I mean, look at, we both, how long have we both been doing this business? We've, we've known Buddy Baker. Both of us have dealt yeah. with Buddy. I've dealt yeah. with him for 20 years. I helped him get his first yeah. client ever. And both his parents died from this. It, it, this thing is scary. I have to go out today. It's the first time I'm going out other than walking my dog. I, have to, I actually have to go out and we're food shopping today, and I am nervous as all get out. So it's uh, this is the real deal. I mean, I have so many people that have emailed me about stuff that's going on. So all it's forget about politics. Just be safe. It's all it comes down to. Just be safe. And you know, we'll continue to uh, bring you these podcasts each and every week, counting you down to the 2020 NFL Draft, which is going on, my friends, April 23rd through the 25th. It's all happening. There's no place better to get caught up on all the news, updates, analysis, hot takes like we got today from Russell and myself. <laughs> and, of course, the NFL, the NFL Draft Bible com keeps on cranking it. Uh, we've kind of, you know, moved on to 2021, started cranking away there. But you can still uh, download the book, 600-plus uh, scouting reports, 175-plus interviews. I will say – it, it, it's going to be a limited edition because our first wave of books that I picked up are already sold out. We have to place another order. Uh, Easter Sunday, if you're listening to this podcast at a later date, we will stop taking orders Easter Sunday on the book. You can still get the PDF, but in order for us to print, publish, mail, ship to you, and get it on time before the draft, which I'm assuming you want, uh, you want one after the draft, we can send it to you, no problem. But if you want it before the draft, Easter Sunday will be the last day to place your order. We appreciate all the love and support there. Uh, NFL Draft Bible, preaching the gospel, good gospel since 2002. Like my good friend, Russ, the only Bible that matters. And I'll tell you what, now that we've uh, turned the calendar officially to April, Russ, it, it's the most important Bible right now because it's got everything you need to know. For the 2020 NFL draft, and um, it's the only you know. real Bible. <laughs> there you go. Hey, if Russ Landy says it, pay attention, folks. Uh, Rick Saratella <laughs> here on another edition of the Infectious Scouting Podcast. We'll break it down. Running backs and wide uh, quarterbacks next week. We we did we want we want reverse order. We started with the safeties. 
So you can go back, listen to all the archives. We're bringing you the names you need to know to, uh, next week. Running backs and quarterbacks. Uh, it will be a double dose of um, heavy, heavy analysis. Uh, thank you, Russ. Thank you, all the listeners. Uh, Till the next time, stay safe, be well and healthy. We appreciate you all. You're tuned in to the Infectious Scouting Podcast with your hosts, Russell Landy and Rick Saratella.